1: Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto, and if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us.
0: And just one final heads up before we get into the show, this podcast contains general financial information only.
1: Jess, welcome onto the Australian Finance Podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. It is wonderful to have you in the studio. We're recording in Sydney today, and Mel is also joining me.
2: Yes, I'm super excited and super excited to have Jess on as well.
1: Now, Jess, you're a portfolio manager at Global X. That's a pretty interesting role. I don't think we've had any ETF portfolio managers on the show. So I'm excited to hear about your journey into investing and what day to day looks like for you and learn some of your lessons working in the industry. But if you could just introduce yourself to our listeners, give us the 30 second, who is Jess? What
3: would that be so my name is jess long i'm an etf portfolio manager i work at global x i've been in finance for close to 10 years now and throughout my journey i've done active funds passive funds index funds and now i've ended up at etfs i really enjoy what i do because i feel like i get a chance to help your everyday investor with the investing and money, because I'm the one that's actually investing into the underlying assets for them. So that's what I really enjoy. And in my spare time, I have a social media uh, on Instagram and TikTok on the long way where I educate about financial literacy and ETFs.
1: Wonderful, make sure to include a link to that in the show notes mm-hmm. as well. But if you talk, take us back to the start of your journey in finance, back to, I don't know, whether it was for high school or uni or further past that, can you share a bit about what got you interested in finance?
3: So I guess my first ever memory of finance or investing was actually my grade three teacher. So she gave us a task back then. It was when the stock prices were still physically printed on newspapers. So, you know, there was no apps or phones where you can check the live pricing. And so she gave everyone a photocopy of that sheet with the last prices of the stocks. And she's like, "Okay, imagine you have $10,000. How would you invest that? So that was kind of my first ever experience on choosing stocks and running essentially a paper portfolio. And that's what got me interested. And then then during high school, during uh, doing economics or commerce, I think that, that topic was called, that got me interested. And then now when it was time to pick uni subjects, I was like, oh, so, okay, I guess I'll do something to do with finance. Mm-hmm. So I applied finance and I didn't know really what else I wanted to do at that point in time, but I knew I was interested in finance. So something related was actuarial studies. So that's why I studied that. That's a pretty hard course, isn't it? (laughs)
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Um, And then how did you make the move from studies to portfolio management? Um, Can you talk us through that a bit?
3: Mm, So I guess kind of going back, I never thought I would end up being a portfolio manager. And I guess that's kind of Not the problem, but the fact that it's just, you just don't know what's out there in terms of finance. And then what was often portrayed, even when I was a kid, when I imagined myself doing finance with maybe probably an investment banker, you know, Mm. because that's all you see in movies, Mm. kind of the wealth of force read or when they're actually on the stock exchange being a stockbroker or a bank teller. So I guess you don't really know what your options are out there. And then when I was studying, like I said, I was doing actuarial studies and that was more on the insurance side. So mm-hmm. when you kind of got to the, or the mathy side and the life tables and all that, I was like, oh, this really isn't for me. So that's <laughs> when I decided, okay, let's, let's go down the apply finance and, and try to go down the finance route there. Yeah. So from there, my first job out of uni was in operations. So that was at Macquarie and Yeah, I guess that one was more of a role where I dealt with the trades that were being done by the portfolio managers. And then from that day, I was like, oh, I want to be the one making those decisions, not just the one that's doing the back end of those. And that's where I decided that that's what I wanted to do. Mm. And it's interesting because a lot of people at uni, active management
1: is the popular thing, along with investment banking. A Mm. lot of students go, I wanna invest in stocks and build a portfolio and things like that. But you've actually gone down the passive investing route and you're managing ETFs. So Mm. I'd be interested to hear when you sort of discovered the idea of passive investing and investing in ETFs and what sort of pivoted your journey in that direction.
3: So I guess what pivoted my journey in that direction was actually during COVID. Mm that was with the rise of the passive investor and the rise of ETFs. And for me, having worked in active funds and having worked in index funds, what I really liked about ETFs was how it really democratized investing for everyone. You know, it made investing accessible. Mm. So back then, even, when I was younger, when I was interested in investing, there was just managed funds, mm-hmm. and then the barrier to entry was so much higher. You probably needed 10 15,000 to invest, and you know, yeah. for 20 something forms yeah, too, and for a 20-something-year-old, that's a lot of money. And then you go down the path of which fund to choose, which fund manager, and what does all that mean, and then your brain just kind of fries up, and you're like, I, I'm stuck, <laughs> I don't know yeah, what yeah. to do. So, then more often than not, that's why. Probably most people don't end up investing until they're later. But through ETS, I just really like the idea how it's just made it accessible so that everyone can invest.
2: I agree completely. That's why I love ETFs. Now, for full disclosure, Jess and I used to work together. So I do know kind of what you do on a day-to-day basis. But for all of our listeners and for Kate, can you kind of walk us through a day in the life of an ETF portfolio manager?
3: Yeah. So the role of a portfolio manager is managing the portfolio. So what that means for a passive fund is making sure that the fund, the underlying holdings and its performance tries to mirror the index as much as possible. So you might think, oh, that's very straightforward like you just kind of buy what the index does but in reality I guess uh, index is very frictionless you know there's no transaction cost involved there's no corporate actions it's just very it is here from day one and then day two it looks like this but whereas in real life we often know real life doesn't always go as planned <laughs> there's always stuff that comes up so there might be yeah like i said index uh, rebalances corporate actions i need to manage the cash and then if we get creations or redemptions, that is more people coming into the fund or people coming out of the fund then i actually need to physically go and buy or sell the underlying assets so that's one part of my job. Another part of my job, which I really like as well, is product development. So that's actually thinking and going out there, seeing what our investors are wanting, what's missing in the market, and then going to work with index providers to develop a product or essentially that will end up as an ETF that you would invest in.
1: Yeah, because not all it, the indexes don't always exist for mm. what you want to
3: mm. put out. Yeah, so I guess the... Ones that you probably are most familiar with is broad market cap indices. So kind of like the S&P slash 200 indices. So that's the largest 200 stocks listed on the ASX. But here at Global X, we're more of an innovative brand. We like, we believe in thematic investing. So thematic investing is where it's sector and country agnostic. So you believe in these actual structural changes that would change the economy and the way you live your life going forward. So one example is our fund ACDC, that's the ticker, and that's the Global X battery tech and lithium ETF. So that has a thematic to lithium battery and ultimately it plugs into electric vehicles as well. So I find that really exciting and interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: It's a big role because I know I was talking to Monique, our producer last year, about what an ETF manager actually does because a lot of us invest in ETFs, but we don't really know what's happening behind the scenes. And uh, ETF managers do a lot more than just provide that
3: product on the market for you to buy and sell on a daily basis. Mm. And then I guess with the amount of products out there, we don't just look after one fund. So majority of the time we have our hands in all sorts of funds. So as of now we cover, or I personally cover our thematic equity funds, broader equities, fixed income and commodities as well.
2: Very busy. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to kind of go back just about some of the things that you're doing something that maybe our listeners won't know about is what about portfolio rebalancings actually are. So maybe Mm -hmm. if you want to just talk us through that quickly.
3: Yeah. So that goes back to the index methodology. Mm -hmm. So even we can go back to the S&P slash ASX 200 index. So there's a Essentially, the index methodology is a set of rules, and that rules defines what the universe of the stocks is, so essentially what stocks get chosen, how they get chosen, and how frequently they get chosen. So that index, I think, is a quarterly rebalance. That means it rebalances on the third Friday of every calendar quarter, so March, June, September, December, and there's rules that dictate what stocks get in it. So the largest 200, but then there's often buffering rules. So if they fall uh, below stock rank 220, this is just an example, then they get kicked out. So what that means is that when we rebalance the fund, we actually need to make sure that our holdings match with the index post rebalance. So that means deleting the names that got removed from the index and then adding names back into the fund that got added to the index. Yeah. And that's an interesting part
1: of rebalancing that not everyone realizes is that when you buy your ETF today, what the companies that are inside it will look very different ten years time because the ETF provider continues to rebalance it. Mm -hmm. So you're always investing in sort of that best representation Mm -hmm. of the index and you don't you're not holding a bad company that no one wants anymore (laughs) in ten
3: years time. Yeah. So for those broad market cap indices or just market cap weighted indices, so that just means a stock the weight of the stock in the index is determined by its size on the exchange. So shares outstanding times the last price. That just, you can think of it as index essentially like a leaderboard. So you're always investing in the top 50 names hmm. and that just gets you know updated as you go. Hmm. So just by investing in that, you don't need to do anything, which is I guess the beauty of ETFs. It's very easy. Once you're in, you're in. No more work needs to be done other than if you wanna continue investing in that fund. Hmm. But we as a portfolio manager, we take care of everything for you behind the scenes.
1: Yeah, I love that. And that's the leaderboard is a good analogy because you can, that's one of the great things about ETFs is how transparent they are. Mm -hmm. And if I want to know what's inside the ACDC ETF, for example, I just go to the Global X website hit up
3: that ETF and I can see a list of holdings. And if I really want, I can see every single one. Yeah, so that's a good thing about passive ETFs is transparency. You know exactly what you're getting yourself into. The most passive uh, ETF issuers is update their holdings on their website daily, whereas more active funds, they do it on more periodical, more not-so-often basis.
2: Um, I suppose being an expert in the ETF space, you kind of touched on this with um, how beneficial, how easy investing in ETFs are, do you have any advice for someone who's starting out investing or maybe thinks that they don't have enough knowledge or enough money or any kind of limiting belief? Um, Do you have any advice for them?
3: So I like how you have worded it. It's a limiting belief. So let's, I'm just going to call it out. It's imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. So now I guess with the rise of micro investing apps and with the rise of ETFs, Investing is for everyone. It's very accessible. You don't need a lot of money to start with micro investing apps. You can start, I think, with as little as $50. Mm. And then with ETFs, there's a lot of information out there available. You know, there's great platforms like this podcast yourself and ETF issuers provide a lot of great content on their website, which is very educational. And even there's lots of great forums and communities where you can learn a lot about investing. But often the hardest part is to just get started. So that might look different for everyone. So maybe what I often say that if you're scared of doing that, you don't have to commit a lot of money. Maybe just start off with a little bit, get yourself used to the act of investing. So know what it feels like to actually press buy on, you know, when you're actually (laughs) buying a share, because that's (laughs) a question I often get is, okay, I've decided I want to invest, but now I'm on the website. And so how do I actually physically enter the trade and buy so once you kind of get the motion and it comes it's like muscle memory you get used to it and then you can refine your portfolio and you're investing from there yeah and
1: that's the interesting thing because you don't buy just say you found the the etf on the website you Mm. don't just buy it through the website you have Mm. to open a brokerage account so there's a few extra steps involved and people can often be quite overwhelmed
3: by that Mm. process and yeah so even if you start small you don't really have to commit to it if it doesn't go well. You know, at the end of the day, you're not stuck with it for life. If you really decide, oh, looking back, that really might not have been the best one for my risk profile, or what I'm after in terms of investment returns, you can sell it and uh, you can just start again.
1: Do you remember when you made your very first investment in an ETF?
3: Oh, in an ETF? That was uh quite a few years ago but i would say i would have liked to start earlier and that's kind of the thing that i've heard um (laughs) everybody everybody says says. so i guess when i did want to start investing my first ever investment was not an etf it was a single stock Mm -hmm. but looking back yeah i wish i started earlier
1: yeah and if someone's listening now and they have haven't made their first investment in an etf or Mm -hmm. anything really and they're looking at the website and they're just not really knowing where to start, what would you say are the most important things to know about an ETF?
3: To you know, okay, yeah. If you're just, you're researching one. Mm, so maybe when you're researching one and yeah, there are a lot of options out mm-hmm. there, so was it, analysis paralysis, some starting points to kind of kick off your thought process or your research process is maybe what are your values? Do you want to start investing based on your values? That's one option you can go down. Another option is what is the most common investment out there. So that's in terms of fund size or the most ones that you hear often. So, and you can start off with a broad market
2: cap index, say.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting place to start as well. And is that that's where you started, didn't you? Or you-
2: I started with IWLD. Oh yes, we um, talked about it on the show a few that, weeks ago. Didn't exactly, we? <laughs> but since that I started to do, yeah kind of broader indexes before going into mm. thematics. Yeah,
3: cuz that that's one way that we like to stay is the core satellite portfolio. So mm. the core of your portfolio is based on broad market cap index ETFs. And then if you like your satellites, which are a smaller proportion of your fund, they can be uh, either stock names that you like or thematics or sectors. Mm. Then that, that way you can tilt your portfolio differently. But at the end of the day, the majority or the core of your portfolio is based on broad index ETFs. Mm. And that must be a pretty cool part of your job
1: because you're working in the ETF space. You're actually creating products that brand new investors can use to get started. Mm. Mm. Well, Cause when you, if you worked in active funds management, a lot of these funds have 10 or $25,000 minimums. So mm. a lot of people can't use these products at the beginning of their investing journey. So it must be cool to see so many people using
3: ETS to get started with. Yeah, and that's what I really like. I guess that's what gives me almost, you can say a sense of purpose. Like I like that I'm contributing to people's wealth journey and, and I find that really um, motivating for me personally.
2: I love that Um, and I suppose moving on from that you're making a contribution to kind of women in finance Mm. as well you're one of the very few female portfolio managers for a passive um, provider so how has that journey been for you how has it progressed over the last few years where do you see the industry going
3: yeah so I would say along my journey my personal journey I haven't actually had many female portfolio managers on, on my path. I would say I've just had one and she's been a great mentor. We're mm. still very close. We're still very connected. But just in general, yeah, women and other minorities are severely underrepresented mm. in finance. And then when you go one step deeper into investment roles, that's even less. So I think according to Morningstar, the percentage of female fund managers across the world globally is less than 20%. Mm. And I would even dare say in Australia it's probably less than 10 just based on my personal experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess a the question then we have to ask is why is there not more, right? So is that a question of do they not know about it? Is that just something that they don't like or is the environment not suitable or are we not doing enough to encourage young women to come into this industry? And then it becomes a question of how can we change that? Do you have any thoughts on those questions? Because they're good questions. (laughs) (laughs) I think, well, yeah so much to unpack here um <laughs> but personally i think it's a bit of everything so going back even to my personal journey i just wasn't aware that portfolio management or now more specifically an etf was a possible career path so i guess that's one of the reasons as to why i do my social media to be the representation that i wish i had growing up and to just let people know this is a possible career path and it's very rewarding and that if you want to do so um here are the steps that you can take to to do that. Another thing is building the pipeline, which I think there are many great initiatives out there now that are doing that. So, you know, going to high schools, going to unis and recruiting them from a younger age. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we look at the numbers now in terms of graduate roles and finance across the board, it is, split quite evenly at 50 50 but then it's more when you move up to when they're mid-career and then c-suite and that number just tapers off dramatically so it's i guess it's a multi-pronged approach so how do you build the pipeline and then how do you retain and have the talent and then how do you progress that talent Mm.
1: and it's it's definitely a role that i didn't know existed before i started working in finance Mm. and so i there is a great benefit to actually speaking to people in high school and university and actually going investing is a thing also passive investing is a thing and you can mm-hmm. work in finance and we we're talking off air about all the different roles in finance mm-hmm. because we often think finance is those media pictures where the, yeah. there's a bunch of guys in a pit in lab coats yelling just running each around other. yelling <laughs> and that's really not true especially mm-hmm. in australia that doesn't exist anywhere yeah. and i was wondering if you could chat because you've worked in
3: a few different roles in mm. finance about just the broad range of roles roles. that people can be involved in yeah so even within if you look at even the big banks they do so much more than just your deposits Mm -hmm. and your home loan so you can have a look on their website there's lots of different branches so What I do in ETF, the broader arm is asset management, So that's uh, wealth management taking investing in funds. And then there's the retail side, which we mentioned that's your deposit taking side. And then there's also the institutional banking side. So that's where you deal with, for example, your super funds or stuff that businesses do to with one another. And then you also have investing such as commodities and and much, much more. So it's it's actually a whole range And within that there's all these different roles. So even within asset management, there is back office, so that's operations, that where that's where I started. And then risk management. So that was my second role. Now we call it as middle office and then front office. Yeah, which is a portfolio management role.
1: Mm. And it's got everything there, like if you work in marketing or events mm. or law or human resources or operations or technology, there's roles for everybody in finance. And I think if it somewhat interests you it's a great industry to work on because you get to learn so much
3: about the world around you Mm, so that's why i guess it's so important as we say investing is for every with everyone and a key to that is accessibility so and part of that is just being the representation and letting everyone not only women or not only younger girls but the next generation that these are your options there are options and that uh yeah, you can make those choices if you want to decide, if you decide that that's what you want to do.
2: Do you have – so you kind of mentioned one of your role models who was a another portfolio manager, mm. but do you have anyone else that you – kind of have a community of women or other people in portfolio management that you can kind of bounce ideas off or any people role models that inspire you? Yeah, so other than
3: that, I guess I've had some
2: mentors and
3: guidances along the way. I guess a tip for your listeners is networking. And not only, I guess, A lot of people say that networking is important and they often just refer to expanding your network. Mm -hmm. But I would say another aspect that, or another good tip is to expand your peer network. So Mm -hmm. like you said, having people in similar roles to you, similar levels to you, and so you can share your knowledge and they act as, I would say, a very honest sounding board, you know, of how, what they're going through and then you can see and work together.
1: And you're probably working in such a, an evolving industry because mm-hmm. ETFs have been evolving. The technology behind mm-hmm. the scenes is evolving. You want to know Absolutely. what's happening, what the
3: changes, and that helps you improve your own skills and your own yep. role as well. Sure. So, yeah, ETFs are a disruptor um, of the finance industry and I would like to think that my role as a female in the portfolio management team is a disruptor as well. You know, we're changing the way that things are done. And uh, I guess sometimes I look around the room and I'm like, oh, I'm the – and I'm the only female there. And I kind of just remind myself that that's how far I've come. So I guess another another thing that I wanted to share with you today is sometimes, even though you may be different, embrace that difference. You know, you are in that room for a reason, so don't forget it. And sometimes you might feel like, oh, I don't know how to speak up or I don't know how to convey my point, but just remember to back yourself because no one cares about your career more than you. You are there for a reason. So believe in yourself and yeah, you can do it. I love that. I love that. And
1: it's important to have lots of different people working Mm. in finance because we want the products to be accessible to everyone. We want the platforms to be accessible to everyone. And I think the more diversity and the more range of experiences. So a lot of people come to finance from non-finance backgrounds and that brings a whole range of different experiences as well. And hopefully it ends up creating better investment products like ETFs or
3: better brokerage platforms for us to use on our wealth creation journey. Yeah. When we talk about diversity, it's not just about gender. It's about everything, cultural background. and, And more importantly, what all that brings is diversity of thought. And research has proven that the more diverse you are, the better outcomes in and also in terms of investing performance as well. So that's so why not? Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Another interesting question because you're working on the passive side and I know Owen interviews a lot of active fund managers on the Investors podcast is passive versus active. And mm. I presume you get asked that question a little bit working yeah. in the passive side of things. Mm. What are your thoughts on um, where do you sit on that debate? Do you think about it, it can be both mm. or do you prefer passive investing over
3: active investing? So I think it can be both. And at the end of the day, I think it really depends on the investor their own preferences and their views so you know some investors they just know that they need to start building a nest egg they need to know that they need to have their budget sorted have emergency fund and contribute regularly to their investment to build their retirement fund but then other than that they're not really they don't really want to be a stock picker they don't want to really spend the time reading the news every day doing the research and that is okay that is completely fine um, so with that passive is a very Suitable choice for those people, whereas on the other hand, active, the sometimes the exposure that you want may not be available via passive funds. So then you have to go down to active, or that you enjoy doing that. So then you are the active manager. So I see that there's a place and a role for for both in one's portfolio.
2: Yeah, I find that um, argument or that conversation really interesting because even as a passive ins- issuer an ETF provider they're still creating indexes mm-hmm. they're still making trades so even though it's called passive you're still making active decisions every day yeah right?
3: and I think a common misconception is that when we say passive people just think of oh, your broad market cap index funds mm-hmm. but no passive is so much more than that like we have thematic funds and that looks nothing like your ASX 200 index so yeah yeah
1: Yeah. I always find that conversation because people talk about passive income and not having to do any work, but there are always decisions Mm. There's admin involved, even if it's just doing the tax return, there's some work involved in that. So um, are there any other resources that, especially for people wanting to work in the investment industry who are curious about what happens behind the scenes, because it does seem a bit elusive from the outside. Mm. If someone's interested in learning more about a career or a role in
3: investing, are there any places you'd direct them? Um, so personally I guess just drawing back on my experience, when I started in operations and then I I decided that I wanted to be the ones making those decisions, I kinda went back and I, and asked myself what skill sets need So that's why I decided to take the CFA or the yeah, do the Chartered Financial Analyst program. So that's uh, many years of studying. Did alone. you do so all I, three levels? Yes, I did all oh, three wow. levels. It's one of the <laughs> hardest things in Australia to do, isn't it? I think it's hard because back then I was also having a full time job. Yeah. So it's it's the work life balance and your time management. So I I respect anyone that has a CFA because <laughs> of the time management <laughs> aspect. Um, but yeah, so doing that, I think helped significantly because that gave you exposure to lots of different aspects of finance. And then secondly, if you do, or you are curious, then uh, maybe going back or drawing on your network and see if you know anyone that can put you in touch. So I remember before my first interview, I had one of my brother's friend who, who worked at Macquarie. So he, we went out for a coffee and I asked him all these questions and yeah, I thought that was really helpful. Yeah. No, the
1: CFA website's great. I'll link it in the show notes because it has a lot of research and articles Mm. and reports on different aspects of investing. Um, And I've I've used a few of those resources just for research for the podcast over the years. So it's a good place to start. And they probably run some
3: university events as well. Yeah, I think they do. They have a broad network and events as well. And I guess another one is if you are interested in investing, uh, one question that I always ask the person in the interview is, do you invest personally? So I think mm. that adds a lot of browning points. It shows that, you know, you are actually interested and that you've done the process. And and yeah, I always say that the best way of learning is by doing so.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, so I'm gonna ask you that question. Do you invest personally and what do you like to <laughs> invest in? <laughs> I do, so
3: I guess my personal investing journey has evolved a lot since my first ever single name stock investment. Mm. Uh, I won't disclose what exactly I just uh, I invest in, but I think it's more my mentality around mm-hmm. investing has changed. So back when I my first one, it was more okay, let's put all this money into this one name and hope it does really well. Mm-hmm. And guess what? It did not. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you learned to diversify. Yeah, so I learned to diversify, and then. That's where the beauty of ETFs come in again. You know, diversification, you can get that in one simple trade. So with that, that's now the core of my portfolio. And then I still do some single stock names investing, but that's more of a satellite or more what my personal interests are in terms of the sectors and what I want to invest in. So I just put a little bit of money in those names. And, yeah, so my strategy is actually now – set and forget almost. So just put some away every single month. And if there's something that interests me, then I would allocate a little bit, but it's always set and forget, just build it. And then also diversify.
1: So just because you're in funds management doesn't mean you're spending your whole weekend also learning about <laughs> investing in companies.
3: Yeah, well, I guess that's kind of what I do. I read I read so much during work as yeah. well. So kind of form ideas, but mainly I guess maybe cause I do work in it so much that I do kind of want to break or take a bit of the mental load off. <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> so just kind of, yeah, do the easy way, set and forget. And if there's something that genuinely interests me, then I would spend more time to go and do it.
1: Jess, we've covered a lot of ground today, but if you wanted listeners to take one thing away from this conversation about working in investing, about ETF investment management, what would that be? So
3: maybe some takeaway for your listener that's just broader than just working in finance, maybe Mm. some broader career advice. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of have three things that I kind of stick to is that no one cares about your career more than yourself. So back yourself. So what does that look like? So that looks like believing in yourself Mm. and that I personally, the second thing is I personally don't believe in the saying fake it till you make it. That's imposter syndrome. And I think that if you tell yourself fake it till you make it, it implies that it is, it's something that you're not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When in actually, is something that you are, so I just like to kind of change that mindset to what would the most confident or what would the best version of me act in that scenario mm-hmm. and try to channel that, yeah. Um, so that. That is the version of backing yourself as well, believing that you can. And I think many of you have probably heard that saying where females don't apply for a job if they feel like they only tick seven out of the 10 criteria. Mm-hmm. Or no, if they don't tick all 10, yeah. when males do so even if they only tick seven out of the 10. But for me, it's not that you're not there yet. What you need to believe in is you need to ask yourself, am I able to pick up those skills? Can I learn? Cause I often think that learning on the job is the best way and the fastest way. And not only that is, are you willing to put in the time and effort to learn? And will you actually follow through with that? So if you're confident in your abilities to do that, then why not go for it? And, um, yes, lastly is a second form of, of backing your voice of backing yourself is find your voice so this might seem very funny but even to this day if there's a big meeting or a presentation coming up how do you build the confidence to go into that room and i'll share a little secret i still do power poses in front of the mirror sometimes but that it's scientifically that, proven to help yeah. but that and going back to what i was saying before is sometimes just remember how far you've come you know you were chosen to be in that room based on your talents and um back yourself yeah some great career yeah, advice there.
2: Absolutely. I think sometimes it is hard to take a step back mm. and go, oh, this is how far I've come and I belong here. Yeah. Um, but that's great advice. Yeah, yeah, so most of the time
3: it's in our head. So just take a brief, uh, take a deep breath and just kind of go from there. Wonderful.
1: And a lot of that can be applied to taking your first step on your investing mm. journey as well. Yeah. Because at some point you do have to believe that you've got the this- Skills and the knowledge and the tools in front of you to take that first step. And it doesn't need to wait another five years. No.
3: And often it's always the first step. That's the hardest. But once you're there, then you kind of look back and go, oh, that wasn't that hard, right? So then Mm -hmm. let's keep going. Yeah. Jess, if people want to learn more about
1: you and Global X and maybe look under the hood about some of those ETFs and see some of
3: those holdings on the leaderboard, where mm-hmm. should they go? Yeah, so to find out more about our ETFs, you can visit our website. So it's globalxets.com.au. We have great content and information there. And if you want, you can just type in the fund ticker. Or, you know, there's a drop down where you can see all our funds. And then you can look under the hood to go see the holdings. And if you're interested to learn more about me, you can find me on my personal social media so i'm on instagram and tiktok and youtube and that's under the handle the long way so t-h-e-l-e-u-n-g-w-a-y
1: wonderful well we'll include links to all of those resources in the show notes plus our etf mini series so Mm -hmm. if etfs are a brand new concept to you we'll include a link to that series as well jess thank you so much for joining mel and i on the
3: show today thank you for having me it was so much fun